Hey guys, and welcome back to the Weekly Review Podcast. I feel like I should just name this the Marvel Podcast. You know, I do DC at both CB underscore Legion on Twitter, which is the Comic Book Legion Podcast. And I also do DC at Batman News Weekly. We talk about Batman. So I really want, and that was one of my goals for 2020, is to read more Marvel. I will say we are talking about one, two, three, four, five, six books today. Um, And they're really good books. I had a lot of fun reading these books. But I think I should name this the Marvel Podcast. So I think that's how we're going to change it. Because I, until I find... You know, until I can really contact uh, Boom Studios, because the really the only other book or, uh, yeah, I guess the only other title that I'm interested in indie-wise is Power Rangers. So this could be a Marvel Power Rangers podcast, but until I can really get in contact with Boom Studios and, and get them to give me the review copies, we're going to have to wait for that. So let's go ahead and move on. I think the first book we're going to be talking about, uh, speaking about Power Rangers, you know, the cover artist for this book, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, is Dan Mora. It is beautiful. I will say that is the number one thing that draw that like drawed me in to this book, uh, seeing that cover and just being reminded of how good of an artist Dan Mora is. But this is the team up, of course, of Falcon and Winter Soldier, Bucky Barnes and Sam Wilson. Now, it's really weird because it kind of just throws you in there. You know, we see uh, first off the home of Bucky Barnes. He's kind of just sitting in his, I guess, room. It looks like his own room. He looks like he's meditating. His cat is there and his cat like notices a sound or something. And freaking soldiers just come barging in. And it looks like a dozen of them. He And he takes them all out. He kills them all. It looks like he kills them all. Uh, because I don't think bullets through the torso and hand and head uh, really means you survive. But, you know, he gets on his motorcycle, he tucks the cat into his jacket, and he says, Alright, we have to go, this isn't safe anymore. And he, uh, well, we see a glimpse of Falcon, and we get, like, his voicemails. And his voicemails are giving him a little bit of insight, I guess, on uh, some just unusual activity you know around new york and just anywhere in particular nowhere in particular but you know just random stuff and it leads him to the office of federal utilities where bucky is there also and everybody's dead in that office and sam is quickly like uh did you do all this and bucky's kind of hurt he's like are you are you serious he's like and Sam's like, well, I, I had to ask, you know, there's a ton of bodies and the only person here is you. So, you know, just just need to know. And, you know, he Bucky says, you know, I was working with these guys. It's part of my because uh, he did get pardoned with that whole secret empire Hydra thing. He helped take down Hydra. So the government gave him a pardon. And part of the pardon is to work with the. Uh, Office of Federal Utilities. And it was a secret organization, of course. And, you know, Sam is doing a little bit of investigating himself in here. And he says, well, it looks like this is this wasn't done by a team. It looks like, you know, there is precise shots. It looks like this was a one man job. And Bucky agrees. He said, "Okay, this is my handler here. He takes a file and it says uh, Veronica Eden, and he's he says let's go pay her a visit. But before that, you know, he asks Sam, Bucky does, and he says, "Hey, are you still dating Misty, Misty Knight? You know the girl with the metal arm, same as him." And he's like, 
does she like cats? You know, because he, he, they're going to do dangerous stuff. He can't necessarily have the cats with him. So he gave the cat, uh, well, you, you don't see Misty at all, but we see there in Brooklyn. And he's like, I had no idea the cat was going to attack her at all. And Sam was like, that was vicious. And But he was like, hey, you know, I, I thought she would be a cat person, you know. Uh, what does he say? He says, oh, you know, metal arm pals. Which I thought was kind of funny. A little out of place because of the seriousness seriousness of the situation. But I understand that comics need that little light tone in the middle to grab some other readers. But they knock on uh, Veronica's door. She answers. She's very confused as of why they're there. They tell her about what happened in the office. And she's completely dumbfounded. You know, they're like, what were you doing? Like, why were you not at the office yesterday? And she says, well, I was, you know, out all night. And I, you know, was partying. And and I have a hangover. So I wasn't able to go. Well, she, it was, it wasn't yesterday. It's today. It's the same day. And Bucky asks, why didn't you go into work today? And she says, I have a hangover. I was out last night. And, oh my god, they're dead. They're all dead. Who did this? And they're like, okay, you need to calm down. We need to get focused here. We need to look up these files. Can we use your computer? She said yes. But she is getting sick from the anxiety and all this stuff. So, they're able to do a little bit of research. But, all of a sudden, this guy comes in and he says, I'm a huge fan. Of both of you, I mean, well, actually, I'm a huge fan, just about anyone worthy enough to sling the Captain America shield. To meet you, though, golly, it's a little overwhelming, you know. And he says, sorry for following you here. By the way, call me the natural. I killed all those people. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Are like, what the hell's going on? They asked if he's armed. He says he's not. He left his gun and he wants to do it personally, hand to hand. It would be an honor. And Bucky's like, okay, this this isn't going to work. You need to get on your knees, interlace your fingers. And the guy just, like, attacks Bucky. And so Sam comes in. He f- starts to fight him. And they're, they're just not... This kid has the upper hand on both of them. It's really sad. But eventually, Bucky gets pissed and pulls out a gun. He's like, you know what? I've had enough of this shit. And Sam's like, dude, we cannot kill him. We have to arrest him. We have to take him in. We have to question him. You know, that's how all this works. And Bucky's like, you have your way. I have mine. You know, then this is how we're going to do it. And they still get the shit kicked out of them. And it just doesn't work out for the two of them. But the kid's like, you know what? I probably should kill you now. But that's, I'm, I mean, that's what a good soldier would do. They would listen. But I'm really good you know, I'm, 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 I'm really, really honored to, to fight you both. You were both Captain America. So what I'm going to do is, uh, he says, uh, what does he say? I'll give you guys another shot. Uh, he says, but they're not the boss of me. Not yet. So if you guys really want to stop them, I'll give you another shot. Come after me. And next time, we'll tussle, I'm going to kill you. And it says, to be continued. So, not a whole lot of information about what this story is is about going forward. Now, we got a little tease with the voicemails on uh, Sam's phone talking about terrorist camps. And, uh, what is it? Yeah, just terrorist camps. And that they send the government to kill off these terrorist camps that government you know facility that does that was the office of federal utilities so it's somewhat interlocked it's somewhere connected and that's you know coincidentally how sam and bucky are going to be teaming up but you know that was a little convenient for me but i can i can understand you know story-wise i i can really understand that and I'm really digging the art. I, I I want to get to know these characters a little bit more, especially since, of course, Disney Plus is making the uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier TV show. So it's very convenient that this rolls in, you know, a few months before that. So I, I'm really excited about this book. 
But let's go ahead and move on to another great book that I also did a written review on Weird Science. Uh, uh, is, is it Weird Science Marvel Comics.com? Let's actually look that up. I'm sorry. It is the website for that is. Oh my gosh. It is Weird Science Marvel Comics.com. Yes, it is. I did a review for Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and the book we're going to be talking about next is Fantastic Four Grim Noir. Now, I don't completely agree with the title. It is a little misleading, but that does not uh, mess with the actual storytelling. This is by Gary uh, Gary Duggan, or Dugan, or however you want to pronounce it. Uh, really, really great storytelling. The artist on here is uh, Ron Garney, awesome artist, but Matt Mia or Matt Milla, I don't know how to pronounce that last name. The colors on this book are absolutely amazing, as well as the colors on Falcon and Winter Soldier because he's also the colorist over there as well. So after just like just splurging on the art, uh, which I really did. I looked back at this several times after reading it. Um, this book is basically the thing. Ben Grimm is having nightmares. And he's having a reoccurring nightmare with the, the same person. The same person is attacking him. It's attacking uh, his newly wed uh, wife, uh, Alicia. Or Alicia, Alicia, I think her name is. Alicia. But... Uh, you know, he keeps waking up from these nightmares, and Alicia's like, you had that nightmare again, didn't you? And he's like, ah, no, no, you know, he kind of tries to rub it off. He's like, nah, I dreamt of Boston uh, winning the World Series again. And she's like, no, 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 you know, tell me what's going on. And he says, well, you know, it was that same guy that was hurting us. And then I fell. And and. You know, the visuals in his nightmare are really cool. I really, really enjoyed them. But, you know, Alicia then comes to say, you know, I haven't really heard our neighbor across the street. You know, she had a beautiful voice and, you know, I hope something didn't happen to her. And he looks across the street and he notices these two people in trench coats. He's like, you know what, I I need to go outside. You know, don't worry about it. Let me just go outside. And at this point, this is where the noir feeling really kicks in. You know, it, it has the flat palette colors, uh, really gray and blue and black. And Grimm is talking to these investigators, these detectives or whatever. And he's like, hey, whatever happened to that woman? They're like, uh, who's asking? He's like, well, you know, just I'm the neighborhood watch. You know, that whole Yancey Street Pride thing. And, you know, he, Grimm, you know, says, uh, we didn't know her name, uh, but why don't you come into, you know, our apartment? I'm sure Reed Richards, Reed Richards has, you know, surveillance that can help you guys out. Now, the cameras didn't pick up anything, but that didn't stop them from having their own conversation and investigation there in Grimm's apartment. And, you know, they're just exchanging, you know, some small things and, you know, questioning how it happened or how she could have been abducted. And this is really on Grimm's mind throughout the night. Even when they're in bed, he's going to sleep and he starts to dream about her. And it's really cool because in this dream, Ben is not the thing. He is, you know, his old human self. And it's like they're in an opera, him and, uh, Alicia, they're sitting at their kitchen, or actually it's their bed that kind of starts floating and they're watching and then it turns into their like where they were sitting in their kitchen table and then they're still watching uh, this woman, Rosemary is her name, uh, the one that was abducted uh, from their window watching her sing and all of a sudden she just kind of dissipates for a split second and he's like wait something's wrong and then he turns into the thing and that person that was attacking him in his other dreams is grabbing this rosemary girl 
and then these demon things start to grab him, excuse me, and Alicia, and he wakes up again, and, (laughs) and Alicia's like, man, we really need to look into separate beds, and she's joking, but, you know, partially, you know, we always tell the partial truth in a joke, you know, because it kind of has to be frightening for her, you know, for her being a blind woman to then be completely woken up by, you know, this big yell from Grimm. And so, you know, Ben is saying, this guy, he's, he's a real, he's a real bum, you know, he's really dangerous. And so he is describing this guy, this evil menace, menacing guy to Alicia while she is sculpting. And the really cool thing about Alicia, if you don't know, is because she's blind, you know, she, all she has is her sense of touch, her sense of sound, and she has this amazing talent for sculpting clay. And so in his description, she's just molding this clay and kind of just playing around with it. And then eventually says, hey, is this your guy? And Ben looks and he's like, holy crap, that that is that is him to the T. And he he grabs it. And he's like, I'm sorry, I, I have to borrow this. Uh, and she's like, I, I really don't want it back. You know, that thing looks scary. Like, I, I don't want it. And he goes and he wakes up uh, Mr. Fantastic, Reed Richards. And he's like, hey, do you recognize this guy whatsoever? Like, he is like in my dreams and he's attacking me and I think he has something to do with our missing neighbor and he's like well Reed is like well he doesn't look familiar to me you know and Ben is like oh well then I know the perfect person and he goes to Doctor Strange's house and Wong is there and Doctor Strange is, is out but Wong is like hey I'm here and you know it's really lucky that you caught me I'm not normally at the Sanctum anymore you know, I was just, you know, here for a small reason. He's like, well, does this look familiar to you? Does this guy? And he's like, you know what? You need to come in. And Ben is like, well, the, I can tell by your face, you know, this guy. Is he some sort of like heavy hitter? How do you know him? And Wong is like, oh, yes, his name is Despair. And he turns into the guy and he attacks Ben. And it's very much reminiscent to... The next few pages are very reminiscent to Ben's dreams, so we don't know if he has taken Ben to some sort of dream state or other dimension or whatever. But Ben is like crumbling into like millions of pieces. And we see Rosemary like caught in this like almost symbiotic goo, you know, very reminiscent of like somebody like Venom. And she can she is being forced to sing but only when he says so so you know otherwise she can't say anything and you see her little like dialogue bubbles are completely blank and you know this fight continues on between despair and grim and it's very inception-esque and it's really messing with ben's mind and he's having to go through the memories of who he's lost in his life Uh, His brother, his father, his mother, all these people. And basically telling a story of how he's been running his entire life. All the way until Earth was in in his rearview mirror. That being when he flew off into space with the rest of the Richards family. Or the Fantastic Four family. Um, But his number one fear is, uh, is destroying who he loves or what he loves. And that being Alicia. And, you know, he kind of wakes up from this whole thing and he's like, you know what? No, like I, I, I'm stronger than this. People are counting on me. And it's with that hope that, you know, and his strength of who, you know, he cares for and who he loves that he's able to legitimately fight despair and not just, you know, kneel over in fear, you know? So I really like that. Now, it's very cliche for a comic to just be like, you know what? I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. And so he does it. You know, the same thing that's been going on in Wonder Woman a whole lot. Just because she thinks of love and cares for people, then she automatically becomes. It's almost like the Care Bear stare. And, you know, the uh, 
the powers of Captain Planet, you know, in a way. And it's a, it's a bit cliche, but it works for this. And he's able to rescue Rosemary, and he says, you know, Rosemary, I'm really sorry that this guy kidnapped you. I think it had something to do with, you know, my dreams and the despair that I was holding over on my shoulders. And she says, well, Ben, everyone deals with despair. Uh, it's just, it, it, she says, like, verbatim, everyone deals with despair, Ben. It was just our turn. So, saying that she was also in despair in some sort of way. And now, uh, she hangs out with the Fantastic Four, you know, in barbecues and stuff like that. And it shows a little that they're, like, having, like, a night out on the grill, like, on the roof or something. And a little piece of himself right around where his eyebrow would be just comes off and falls. And, and he's like, what the? He's like, are, are you kidding me? And it's a little bit of an, an Inception move, you know? But it's it's cool. I, I, I think it's a little cliche, but it teases, you know, maybe he has something wrong with him. And that's why he was in such despair. But it's teasing something next, and it looks like uh, the Mole Man or the Mole Man is coming. And so, if you don't know, the Mole Man is a classic villain for the Fantastic Four. I believe it was the first villain for the Fantastic Four. So that'll be fun. Uh, our next book we're going to be talking about is Giant Size X Men: Jean Grey and Emma Frost, number one. Now, I'm really digging these X-Men's books. I have volume one of uh, House of X and Powers of Ten in my Comixology cart. I am almost ready to purchase it, and so I will catch up on that pretty soon. And so a lot of these things that I'm going to be reading X-Men-wise may not make complete sense to me, but I can still grasp like everything that's going on. Now, uh, the... Uh, Art in this book is absolutely phenomenal. It's Russell Duderman. The story is by Hickman, of course. And the colorist is Matthew Wilson. They play a really big part in this book because there's hardly any dialogue. Now, the only beginning dialogue is in the very beginning with two children mutants who find Storm. She is bleeding out somewhere on Krakoa. And... Uh, Jean Grey and Emma Frost uh, go into, I guess, some sort of medical portal facility in Krakoa where they have Storm. She is just lying there. And this is all without dialogue. Emma and uh, Jean psychically go into her mind. It is beautiful. It is a beautiful trip through her mind. Without any words, you can definitely just get the storytelling from the art. And it all completely makes sense. Kind of. This is very... I would say if you've ever seen the movie Black Panther. Where when he is like becoming Black Panther, he has to like die and be reborn. And that's where he gets like his chance to speak with the past Black Panthers and of course his father. That's where this like is kind of that like that medium or you know that purgatory-esque type thing but when they get into her mind these lions these crazy giant lions and lioness uh are there and they're speaking with uh like just words and symbols but like gene is like spelling out the words in like, I don't know why they couldn't talk. That's the only thing that I have to question. But, like, with the particles of dust around her and things, she's, like, spelling words. You know, she's telling these lions that they're friends with Jean Grey because in a weird electrical, like, light, they're asking if they know Storm. Uh, the lions are anyway. And it's really funny because Jean, you know, uses the sand around their feet to manipulate the sand into a memory where Jean and Storm are hugging, they're embracing, they're both smiling, it's really sweet. And the lions, they smile. And so now they're looking at Emma, and they're like, okay, well, how do you know her? 
And, you know, speaking of X-Men, you know, we talked about X-Men number six, I believe, in our last podcast or the two before that. Uh, Emma and Storm, you know, kind of duped it out. And so, you know, they don't have the best relationship. And Emma shows that. Emma's like, well, I know her, but this is our relationship. And she manipulates the sand, and it was their last fight. And these lions quickly morph into snakes. And they attack Emma. They smash her to the ground. Uh, Because of this, they're also, like, they push away Jean. So she gets hurt. But Jean is able to you know, use her psychic abilities and, you know, move them away. And then all of a sudden they're riding this elephant that has butterfly wings. It is super weird. But, you know, in the center of this valley this is a giant tree, which is, you know, they're like, okay, we definitely need to get, we definitely need to get there. They get inside the tree and there's this long staircase with a whole bunch of eyes watching them. And all of a sudden, the eyes turn into some sort of electricity, and the stairs disappear. They're falling. They're falling. They get separated. They're trying to find each other. They're using their psychic abilities to stay connected and to basically bring back some form of stairs. They're able to get all the way up to the top where they see this egg, and the egg hatches, and it's like all like yolk and gooey and something they can kind of tell if there's something inside there they kind of can't but the inside the shell looks mechanical and they even like spell it out you know in you know their light and particles or whatever they're talking uh emma is like it's metal and then gene is like no it's a machine and they see a flower sprout and they pull the flower that flower with that flower that they are pulling it it's like this the roots are just super long and it's bringing up storm and it's just like how they are reborn when they die with this new continuity it's very confusing to me now but i'm sure once i read that volume 1 i will learn a little bit more or maybe not and i just need to accept it <laughs> but uh storm opens her eyes and immediately her skin is starts to melt. And it's like a metallic skull underneath it. It looks like a robot, very Terminator-esque. And on her forehead says 29, 23, 55, 46. So I guess 29 days, 23 minutes, 55 seconds, 46 milliseconds. And with electricity from Storm, she like is like spewing it out into the air and spelling save me and you know Jean embraces her in a hug and finally we get some dialogue Jean and Emma confront Wolverine and Cyclops and says the children of the vault gave Storm a machine virus that's going to kill her in the next 30 days we ought to talk and that's the end um there was a lot of storytelling in this beautiful issue uh, with hardly any words. I highly recommend going to get it. Uh, I know that I will. Uh, it's very, very awesome and very interesting. I, I want to know if because, you know, these mutants are able to be reborn, how crazy is it that, you know, she's going to die? I want to know, like, how do these mutants really dictate whether dying is bad or not, you know? And we will get into to that a little bit more with this issue because that is kind of a topic of one of these issues. But let's go ahead and move forward with X-Force number eight. I don't know if this is a con, like if this continues a story from prior because I wasn't reading X-Force, but X-Force was a book that was recommended to me. Uh, by a listener Tony thank you so much I really dug this uh, this issue and uh, remember we are going to meet at uh, Megacon so be prepared for that it's going to be awesome but anyway let's go ahead and move forward with the issue this mutant I guess um, 
she looks exactly like Domino, but opposite colors. Domino is like fully white with like a black dot around her eye. This woman or man, I'm not sure, uh, has black skin with a white dot around her eye. And she is looking, I guess, to kill this person that is in her hotel room. But Domino is there also. And she says, surprise, it's me. Uh, me too. She she says, are you surprised? Because I am also because you've stolen something of mine. That being, I'm guessing, her luck or her looks. I'm not entirely sure. But this, uh, this other mutant, they attack each other. You know, eventually Domino is able to kill her because this other mutant was some sort of assassin. Uh, this human that was in this hotel was apparently a government official and she was just going to kill him. But what happens next is this beautiful story between uh, Domino and Colossus. Now uh, we get... A little bit of background on Domino's powers. Uh, For some reason, you know, she says that her entire life she has found four-leaf clovers constantly, even though they are very rare. But for some reason, they just grow whenever she's around. has something to do with her luck, her mutant power. But she uh, goes out for a little swim at uh, at a lake inside Krakoa. And when she comes up for air, uh, she sees Colossus. And they have kind of this weird conversation about how, you know, what they could do. Because you can tell by the conversation, they're holding a lot of weight on their shoulders. Whether it be from the stuff that they have done, or what has happened in the past, or whatever. Colossus just says, hey, I could take us both underwater turn into metal, let us sink, and we can die and be reborn, and we wouldn't have to remember any of the bad things that have happened. And Domino says, but I want to remember. I need to remember. And, you know, basically what ends up happening is Sage, another mutant, uh, takes Domino this intel about, you know, this guy going or attempting to get into a Krakoan gate. And I don't, I can't really tell if he was able to get through or if he wasn't, but just something doesn't seem right about it. So she sends Domino and then Domino doesn't feel comfortable unless Colossus goes. And they have this conversation that like, Hey, this is, this is your home. This is your town or this is your home. I need you with me. And Colossus is like, this is not my home. You know, Krakoa is my home. And well, she's and she says, uh, if I don't have luck on my side, then a big sweet bulldozer is the next best thing. And she's saying, okay, well, where we need to be is the next train because they end up, you know, coming into or onto Earth through a portal onto a train. They're like, okay, well, the coordinates that we landed here are great, but the train that we really need to be on is the one that's coming up next. And so she jumps on Colossus's back. Colossus jumps on the train. And then they go inside and immediately jump into a pool of blood. Like just all this blood. And they're like, what is going on? Colossus smashes a door into the next room. And it's basically just multiple organs of, I guess, I don't know if it's older because i don't know how many times domino has died since this whole new reboot of x-men but she says it's like you punched through a mirror and now i'm staring at my shattered reflection and it's all these organs and you can assume that all these organs are of domino and she says i'm the product of a top secret government breeding program their aim was to create the perfect weapon and I was considered a failure. Now, here I am, a case study and petri dish for the next-gen flesh factory. And then a giant army of <laughs> dominoes uh, attack them. And it's not just like clone of women. It's men, women of all different shapes and sizes. 
and Domino is fighting them, Colossus is fighting them, but then Colossus is like, you know what, I'm, I, I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to jump out of here, all the way to the front of the train, and just basically just smash it, and the train crashes, you know, the fight is over, but it looks like Domino is not going to make it, and she says, when I come back, I want to keep it all, all the pain, I want to remember everything, do you promise me? I won't die on I won't die on you unless you promise. And he says I promise and she says thank you. And at the end there seems to be some sort of villain, you know, I guess council meeting or whatever. You know, the very cliché, everybody's wearing masks, blah blah. And this bigger guy, very huge it looks like, silhouette of a guy comes in and is basically going to take control, but we don't see his face. So I'm interested in seeing that. Um, I'm liking what I'm reading. This is only one issue, but I'm liking what I'm reading here in X-Force. And I'm really enjoying the X-Men books. I didn't really think I was going to, because for me, I hate reboots. Like, I can understand a soft reboot, just saying, hey, new writer, throw in whatever you want. But this was a very hard reboot on everything X-Men. And... I was not really okay with it, you know? I was just like, eh, whatever. I I don't want to have to spend my time doing all this research. But with what I am reading here currently, it is very, very interesting. I would love to see where it moves towards, you know, this whole new X-Men nation with Krakoa is making me think, like, you know, what is going to be coming up next, you know? Uh, is it going to be another Avengers versus X-Men? Is it going to be the world versus the X-Men? You know? So I would be very interested to know what exactly is going on uh, with the X-Men moving forward. And with that, we are moving on to X-Men number 7. Now, this is the one you know where I was talking about when it comes to... Uh, religion and all that stuff. Here, uh, there is a lot of talk of something called the Crucible. Now, I have no idea what that is, and I don't think anybody's supposed to until the very end of this book. Now, uh, we have Cyclops and Wolverine talk about the Crucible, and is it the right thing to do? And they say... Uh, Let's see here. Where does he say it? Uh, Wolverine says at one point uh, when they're talking about it. uh, Man. Basically, when they have the conversation, Wolverine is like, uh, do you really think uh, watching a... Well, hold on. Before I... Let's see here. Uh, yeah, so they don't really un- say what it is yet. But, you know, it's really heavy on their heart. They're really conflicted about what this crucible is. And Wolverine's like, hey, if you're wanting to, you know, talk to me about, like, absolutes and, you know, what it means for you personally as far as, like, where your heart is... You're, you're talking to the wrong guy. You need to go find a priest. And he's like, fine, that's a great idea. I'm going to go do that. And he, Cyclops walks into another portal. He's going to find somebody. And I'm not sure what this is exactly, but he sees Douglas. I don't know who Douglas is. And let me see, because usually in the beginning of these issues, they have like a cast of people like who you're going to see and it actually doesn't have Douglas here. So I'm going to do a little bit of research later to find out who Douglas is. Maybe he will be a bigger part of a story later, but I see a tree that looks like Groot. And then I forget this guy's name. He's a big metal robot. He's usually a part of uh, like the new mutants or right. Yeah. I believe he's usually a part of the new mutants, but he Cyclops says, did I just, I guess not. Uh, have you seen Kurt? And Ducks is like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's usually uh, perched up, you know, in this area all day. 
uh, just follow the path, whatever. And so he finds Kurt, and they have this conversation about the crucible, and what does it mean, and we find out from them, he says, you know, uh, are you struggling with it? This is Kurt. He's like, are you struggling with the fact that it's crucible? And he says, yes, aren't you? And Kurt says, how could I not? Are we really going to sit around and just watch a mutant die? And I'm just like, wait, what? What is going on? But by this point, we all know that mutants do get reborn. But when we talk about, when when we see other mutants talk about mutants dying, are they talking about like actual death or is this part of their reborn stuff? Who knows? Who knows? But... We do get a scene with, I believe his name is Exodus. Let me see if I was correct in that. Uh, Yes, his name is Exodus. He is talking to these children of Krakoa. And he's talking to them about what Crucible is. And they are, he's asking them, do you know what Crucible is? One of the children says, well, it's when there is a broken mutant uh, who has to die so they can become an unbroken mutant. And Exodus is like, yeah, your answer has some truth, but it's not the whole truth. So let me tell you, would you like to know? And the kids say yes. It's like, okay, listen carefully. There once was this story of a woman named Scarlet Witch. And everybody like clutches their ears and they're like, pretender, pretender, you're not supposed to say that name. And Exodus is like, you're right, we're not, but you need to understand what is happening. At this, you know, time in this story, this woman, she made, uh, she made us so much less. And she erasing all of the powers of one million mutants. And, uh, she made mutant into man. She made so many of us less. She spoke the words and all the kids say no more mutants. Now, remember, this is a big part of the Avengers versus X-Men run, uh, that I have not read in quite some time, but it is something that I'm wanting to read again, hopefully in one of those interview episodes that I usually have once a month, just have to find the right person to want to talk about it. But Exodus continues his story saying, uh, she sentenced one million of us to hell on earth, trapped in our bodies, uh, trapped in a body that was a prison. Can you imagine being able to do so, uh, to, to do, to being able to do so much and then having your gift stolen from you? Why? Because she thought it was the right thing to do because she knew what was best. No, that's what they do. The worst of them, they decide what's wrong for all of us and they talk and how they think what to believe blah blah blah. but what do we say to them what do we say to her and all the kids say no more and so he continues and he says the great gift of the five means that any of us can be reborn that we can be made whole all that's required is one thing and that and what is that children and one of the kids says you have to die and exodus is Exodus is like, yeah, that's right. And so we move back to uh, Kurt and and Cyclops and Scott. And so they're having these this conversation still, you know, that uh, basically, you know, just continuing why... Crucible is a thing. And Kurt is really questioning all of this. Because if you guys don't remember post, you know, uh, the Hickman relaunch or yeah, of X-Men, Kurt was a Catholic. He was a Christian. He believes in heaven and hell. And so this is very conflicting for him. And it's something that is very interesting in this story because for people who can just be reborn whenever they die I guess it would be very hard to believe in something like heaven or hell so you know Kurt is still continuing on to his case 
And but at this point in time, they're all gathered around this arena where I believe her name is uh, Melody. Sorry, Melody Gerthry is the one that is to be crucified in a way. But she's in an arena and you find out that she has to fight Apocalypse. And Apocalypse has his little speech and he's asking her, hey, what is your your name? She says, Arrow. And he says, no, 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 that is a mutant name. I am not standing before a mutant because I don't know how she lost her powers. But in some weird way, Arrow or Melody is not a mutant or not a proper mutant. Like the kids said, you know, in that conversation with Exodus, maybe she is a broken mutant. So Apocalypse says, no, Arrow is a mutant name. I see no mutant standing before me. Perhaps you were born a mutant, but the humans stole that from you. And now in all the ways that matter, you are as they are, aren't you? And she says, yes. She He asks, what is your name? She says, Melody Gerthry. He says, Gerthry, a powerful mutant family, a great name. What a disappointment you must be. And her family is like really getting on edge. Like, you know, one of the guys is like, you know, this hurts me so much. I'm going to knock this guy in two. And, you know, they hold him back. And, you know, Apocalypse continues his speech on how, like, you know, you need to fight. Uh, Says to fight and die for one another. And this is why we do not accept those like you simply killing yourself to be reborn as something better. It. It's a surrender, and those days are beyond our people. Do you understand? She says, yes. And he says, so what do you want, Melody? Why are you here? And she says, to fight and die for my people like a mutant. And he, so he says, pick up your sword, and they fight. And, you know, we see a little bit of Scott and Kurt again. And Kurt says, that's my thing, my friend. I really don't. And he talk, and Scott's talking about opinions. He's like, do you have opinions on all this? He says, all I have are more questions. Consider my faith. I can't help but wonder what happens to our souls when we die. Do they linger, wait for eternity, or do they return to their mortal vessels when the vessels are reborn? As you and I recently were, uh, am I really me and are you really you? And Scott says, I am, I feel like myself more than I have ever felt, you know, this has to be me. And, you know, Nightcrawler says, well, I still have questions like how, how, where is the proof in all of this? And, you know, they're talking about morality and all the while uh, Apocalypse and uh, Melody are fighting and Melody looks like she's getting her ass whooped not the greatest and apocalypse says you can live like this like a human it's an existence of sorts there's nothing wrong with it we can make the pain stop we can heal your wounds uh we have mutants that can make uh that whole um all you have to do is quit and she says no i i want to fight and he says good they continue fighting scott and kurt continue this conversation um And, you know, they talk about something about the wills and um, I believe that's what they were talking about. Yeah, yeah. Kurt mentions some sort of wills and I'm I'm guessing this is a will of the mutants. It's very unclear on, you know, who the wills are for or whatever. But uh, Kurt says, uh, have you heard about the wills? Cyclops says yes. And he says they're going to be a problem. And Kurt says, I agree, but some might say it isn't, especially after uh, witnessing Crucible. And he says, if one is changed, made whole, and being reborn, then why shouldn't others' mutants have the same opportunity in death? Why should they be able to be the very best version, or why shouldn't they be able to be the very best versions of themselves, or perhaps even a better version? And then Cyclops continues uh, the conversation by saying, well, they should. I think the problem is that some are arguing that the best version of themselves would be being reborn in a copy of Magneto's body with his powers. 
So it's really weird. I'm thinking that this whole reborn thing, because we're, I, I'm guessing that th we're learning, I'm learning this as well as everybody else. I don't think I'm too far behind when it comes to all this X-Men knowledge. But from what I'm reading, it sounds like being reborn, they can program you. And that seems a little odd. I don't know if that's really X-Men, you know, to know that eventually when Cyclops dies, he can be reborn with like 16 different mutant powers. And that feels a little off. And that's why Cyclops thinks it's going to be a problem. And, you know, Melody continues her fight with uh, Apocalypse, but the panels move away from them. Uh, Apocalypse draws his sword and says, accept this gift, you have earned it. And there's two panels that go black, and then all of a sudden you see Melody crawling out of one of the, uh, re uh, I guess, like I said, I haven't seen or I haven't read the first volume of these books, so I don't know if they're eggs or what, but she's crawling with all these orange goo. Uh, and she stands above the crowd. Uh, and, you know, Kurt and Scott continuing their conversation. They're like, how do you explain something like this? Miraculous? Uh, I guess. He's, and he's like, glorious? Wrong? How, how would any of us be able to really tell? And Cyclops says, all I know is you've convinced me you're right. You do have questions. And he says, yes, yes, I do. And the only thing I'm sure of this, any answers I find, I do not think are mine alone. They're all of our questions. And we see Melody use her mutant powers. She's able to fly. And, you know, Scott says, right or wrong, uh, it sure is something, isn't it? And he says, yes, yes, it is. And he says, Scott, I think I need to start a mutant religion. And that'll be interesting, you know, because like I said, for all of from what I can remember, Kurt has always been a man of God. And to have him question everything is a really deep dive into his character. And I absolutely love that. I think it's absolutely awesome that they're doing that. And I think it would be interesting to see where he comes out at the end of this. Is he going to be against what the mutants are doing right now? Or is he going to push his, you know, human religion aside and fully embrace everything that is uh, Krakoa and, you know, everything with the mutants? It'd be very, very interesting. But. I know this episode is running a little long. I went a little too long with that uh, X-Men uh, number seven, but it was actually a really, 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 really good issue. Go pick it up. We have one more. It's going to be X-Men Fantastic Four number two. Of course, we left off with Doom uh, meeting with the martyrs uh, who had Franklin and his sister on board. Everybody was kind of confused, but... They met Doom. Now, we see uh, the Fantastic Four contacting Krakoa and the mutants asking if they had kidnapped their kids. Cyclops is saying, no, you know, we are wanting Franklin to join us, but we definitely aren't kidnappers. And also, we only want Franklin. We don't want your other child. She is not a mutant. And so Sue is like, wait, are you saying that my only one of my ch children has value are you saying one has more value than the other and she gets into full mom mode she's super pissed and she wants to go on the attack and cyclops completely sees you know this coming but they have this conversation in the fantastic four about how they need to go find their kids we find out that the kids are safe in the custody of Doom, along with Kitty Pride and the rest of the martyrs, uh, they are in some sort of, I guess, prison cell, whatever. But Kitty, Franklin, and I always forget their daughter's name. Who is it? It is. Let's see here. It should be in the cast. I'm sorry. Uh, Valerie. Uh, 
Yeah. Valerie. And so, you know, Valerie is just nonchalant. Hey, Uncle Doom, blah, 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 blah. This entire issue, and I absolutely love it. Uh, you know, ignorance is a little bliss, but I know she's not super ignorant because she's super, super smart. But Doom is claiming that he can fix Franklin. And ultimately, what ends up happening is, uh, you know, Cyclops and the Quiet Council are talking about this whole situation, what they need to do. They need to go find Franklin. And and they kind of want to find Franklin before the Fantastic Four just to take him, which sounds really, really off. But, you know, ultimately, you know, Magneto is not afraid of the Fantastic Four. And Kurt and Cyclops is like, hey, you need to understand this is a family. They will do whatever they can. And you don't need to, you shouldn't, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You shouldn't uh, underestimate Reed Richards and what he can and cannot do, especially when he is looking for a family member. And he says uh, he can do mostly anything he wishes or be mostly anywhere with dot 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 the invisible woman. And Magneto quickly like destroys everything metal around him and just like scatters it everywhere. And we see the silhouette of the thing. He punches Magneto and and all the X-Men are like, they're here, they're here, we need to take evasive uh, actions, push them outward, we we need to get a handle on this. And somehow, uh, uh, with with Cyclops' rays, uh, Sue gets knocked out. And so now everybody's visible. We see the conversations with uh, Doom, Kitty, and Franklin, Valerie, all of them. And Doom is basically saying, Franklin has all of this potential, and Reed is doing nothing with it. I'm going to fix him, because that's what needs to happen. You know, I he says, I understand your reluctance, but there is no greater injustice in Doom's mind than wasted potential. And I will help you reach yours. Now, I'm not sure what the Fantastic Four were really thinking when they invaded Krakoa, because eventually, all of the X-Men come forward in attempting to attack them. And the Thing and Human Torch are able to fight them off a little bit, but, you know, they're getting overwhelmed, they're not really sure how they're going to get out of this, you know, they're wearing helmets that keep them from being manipulated uh, psychically, and... Of course, Reader is like, of course. And so he opens the helmet on Sue. Emma is able to quickly, you know, get in contact with Sue. But then Reed closes it. And so the connection is lost. But that wakes up Sue. And she, and he's like, okay, honey, we, we definitely need your help. And this is absolutely awesome in showing how powerful Sue is. She gets one of her force fields and pushes every single mutant away from them they get to the fantastic car and then they drive off and then we see kitty uh pride you know meet the rest of the martyrs that were in you know this room or prison or whatever you want to call it and she says hey we have made a deal with doom he's gonna let us all go we're not gonna fight and he's gonna fix Franklin and they're like wait is this such a great idea and she's like well you have to think about it do you really want to go to war with Latveria or would you rather doom fix Franklin which we were going to do anyway and we get to just leave with our lives basically and we see that doom is kind of spying on Franklin and Valerie and Valerie and Franklin are kind of discussing what they should do and if this is the right thing. And Doom is prepared for everything. And it, he shows it in this last page that he has like these giant Doom bots, almost the size of like the old school Sentinels in case. And I think that's what they're supposed to represent is Sentinels uh, in case the X-Men come and try to attack him. And it says next God power. So... I absolutely love the books this week. I do apologize that this episode was so long. It's coming at about an hour. 
So thank you if you are still listening. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm really diving deep with the X-Men stuff. I'm absolutely loving it. And if you guys have any other books, recommend them to me, please. Uh, I'm really enjoying everything that I'm reading. But with that, guys, I'm going to go ahead and leave here today. Uh, of course, we do have a Throwback Thursday episode coming out tomorrow. And then we have uh, Show and Jump Saturdays, of course. So with that, guys, you have a great day. Thank you.